You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. A Life of Jesus, episode number 48. This episode is called Toward Calvary, the Third Day. This series was brought to you by Brother Melva Perkis from the book of the same name, A Life of Jesus, and is read to us by Brother Paul Creswell. The synopsis. Dreadful sorrow turns to an almost fearful hope. Can it really be? Yes, it's true. The tomb is empty. The Lord is risen. Life of Jesus, a devotional study by Melva Perkis. A Life of Jesus, Book 8, The Prince of Life, Chapter 1, The Third Day. Guilty consciences drove on the priests and rulers to one more act. When the earth trembled under their feet, and all nature rebelled against their wickedness, fear crept into their souls. They remembered his claim to be the Son of God. They knew that, but for their lies, their threats, and their hatred, that still form would not have hung upon the cross. They also recalled his prophecy of the third day. Although it was now the Sabbath, the chief priests joined with the Pharisees in seeking yet another audience with Pilate. By now the procurator was in a mood of cold anger. He knew how against all his better instincts he had been reduced to pitiable weakness by these malevolent schemers. Claudia Procular had been hard to convince that he had had no alternative but to ignore her urgent message. It had been some little consolation to be able to refuse their request to alter the inscription on the cross. Here was another opportunity to assert himself. Sir, they said, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, so that the last error, they concluded with the utmost significance, shall be worse than the first. Ye have a watch, Pilate told them harshly. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. But there was little danger of the disciples making any attempt to revive Christianity by any spectacular or desperate effort. They were too despondent and full of grief. Looking back upon the event, we are sustained in the tragedy of Christ's death by the certain knowledge of his resurrection, 
But the disciples were not looking backwards as we are. They should have been ready for it, but they were not. There was indeed a faint glimmer of hope, but it was so uncertain that when it was given every reason to burst into flame by a message from the garden tomb, it did not stir. John tells us that as yet they knew not that he must rise again from the dead. If there was little faith, there was much love. So many Marys lingered in the garden. Mary Magdalene was always a little in front. She would never forget. Her hands were aching to minister to her Lord. She had spent a busy Sabbath preparing sweet spices for anointing him. She rose in the darkness of the morning, met Mary, the mother of James, Salome, and probably also Joanna, and together they made their way through the deserted streets of Jerusalem, and passing under the arched gate, reached the garden as the sun was beginning to rise over the eastern hills. The problem they discussed was the weight of the stone that Mary had watched being rolled into place on the Friday evening. Their united strength, impelled by so much love, would not nearly suffice. In the garden, Mary Magdalene seems to have run on ahead, urged by the desire to reach her Lord. She noticed at once that the stone was rolled away. Looking quickly inside, she found the tomb was empty. Without pausing for any explanation, she ran back to find Peter and John. Breathlessly she told her news. They had taken the Lord from the sepulchre. Meanwhile the other women had hurried on to the tomb with fast-beating hearts, to be met by an angel who calmed them with words of comfort and joy. Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus that was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Early as the women had been, they were not the first at the tomb that morning. Terrified by a great earthquake, the guard looked toward the tomb. The stone was rolled away. Upon it sat an angel of God whose countenance was like lightning. They became as dead. As feeling returned, they stole away to the city to tell the priests. The tomb was empty. The Lord had risen indeed. The Father had given assurance unto all men. Everyone who came to the Father through him would behold the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Each one of us must stand, our heads bowed, before the empty grave. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive for evermore. Thou art worthy, we cry, 
to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and nation. But it will be our lives, not our lips, which will give to our Heavenly Father our acknowledgement of his unspeakable gift. The women, filled with fear and great joy, went eagerly to tell the disciples as they were instructed, and to inform them that Jesus would go before them into Galilee. But their progress was suddenly halted by Jesus standing in the way. His voice reached their wondering ears. All hail! They came forward, and falling at his feet, they worshipped him. We have no means of knowing what had happened to Peter after he had rushed blindly from the high priest's house. Possibly Peter himself scarcely knew. He may have gone back to Gethsemane to prostrate himself as his Lord had done, finding some ease for his overburdened heart in the fellowship of suffering. He probably knew little of the events of the next dreadful day. His one desire would be to be alone. When eventually he returned to the temporary abode in Jerusalem, it may have been to learn the unspoken truth from the tragic form of Mary lying collapsed on the couch and the haggard face of the disciple Jesus loved. John could not know that Peter was bearing the greater load, but probably during the long hours of the Sabbath that followed, Peter unburdened his aching heart and learned the blessedness of an understanding friend. They had retired to rest at last, this mother who had lost her son, these disciples who had lost their Lord. But night was a sleepless eternity full of bewilderment and grief. It was still early when an insistent knocking aroused them, and they opened the door to receive Mary Magdalene, a distracted Mary, who told them the tomb was empty, her Lord had gone. Forthwith we see the two disciples hurrying through the city streets, but it was a long way and John was younger. Peter arrived breathless to see John outside, peering uncertainly into the darkened sepulchre. But Peter, because he was Peter, pushed past John and went inside. He saw the grave clothes lying folded, and the headcloth neatly placed on one side. But it was John and not Peter who suddenly knew. There was nothing they could do now but wait. They went thoughtfully back to Jerusalem to tell the sorrowing mother. Mary Magdalene was irresistibly drawn to the garden. She had followed more slowly, and now she was alone at the empty tomb, weeping because even the last loving ministration was denied her. This time the sepulchre was not empty. Two angels sat, one at the head and the other at the foot of the place where Jesus had lain. Woman, why weepest thou? Because, she cried, they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. 
Even as she spoke, she became conscious of someone standing near her. She thought it was the gardener. Woman, why weepest thou? What seekest thou? Mary saw a possible answer to the mystery. She had a sudden hope that she would yet find her Lord's body, and kneeling before it, minister tenderly with her spices and her love. Sir, she sobbed pathetically, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Mary. It was enough. It was the voice that had called her from the darkness of despair in the hills of Galilee. Was ever devotion more joyously surprised? Rabboni! She fell at his feet to worship, but gently he stayed her. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Whatever theological significance the words may have, Mary was to learn that Jesus was about to receive the perfection of nature involved in ascent to God. The personal contacts of the past were nearly over. He would not be with them in bodily form to which they could cling as hitherto. But henceforth he would be always with them though I cannot see nor hand touch him. We have special need of that lesson too. During the sacred moments of the breaking of bread, we have his assurance that, though we cannot see him, he is with us. Sometimes we meet him there and we know we have met him. With the passing years, we should grow ever more conscious of his nearness. Not only in moments of remembrance, in times of great sorrow or temptation, but through all the experiences of our life. The woman who loved so dearly, and had been rewarded so richly, went to deliver her glad message to the disciples. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. 
you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.